UK-based Computer Audio Design offers a limited but focused range of digital products. Their conversion methods lie exclusively in the R2R resistor ladder DAC chip side of things, and the products are built around the idea that less noise is better. Founder Scott Berry stops by today to discuss that British sound, the slow acceptance of USB audio, and design philosophy. Hey everybody, thanks for joining us today. Scott Berry from Computer Audio Design. Thanks so much for joining us. How are you, man? Very good. Thanks for inviting me, Brian. Computer Audio Design has been around for a while, but not necessarily having a huge presence in the United States. Uh, the 1543 MK2 DAC is currently for sale, and it's been out for how about how long? How about nine years now. The first model was the 1543 DAC, and mm. about three years ago, I, I, I had a fairly big upgrade uh, to, to the DAC. But now you guys are looking to make more of a presence stateside? Yes. And you've yes. moved the company to Oregon? Well, what we did is, is, is everything is manufactured still in the UK. We're a oh, British okay. company, okay. but we have, ordered, we have actually opened up another computer audio design company on the West Coast, actually in Oregon, that is going to be um, responsible for bringing the product in and distributing the product out. You're in the States now, but you lived in the UK for quite some time. Yes, I'm an American. I uh, went to, went to you know, uh, school in Colorado, electrical engineering, and I moved to the UK. Uh, I was working for Xerox as a digital mm-hmm. design engineer, and I moved to the UK for that job about, well, about 22 years ago. What was it? How was it oh, working for a big? That's a giant. It's a giant company. It's a giant company. They don't make just uh, copiers, right? No, no, they <laughs> don't. In fact, I didn't. Yeah, but it, no, it, it was it was a fantastic experience. And you know, being an American, living overseas for twenty years was, uh, you know, it was an amazing experience. But yeah. you know, after a long time, I started getting a little homesick, and it was it, it it's it's nice to be back in the states again. Too, what, so. what what did you miss most about the United States? Uh, I mean, everything. People don't realize it that live here, but everything works better here. And you, you may not think that living mm. here, but when you compare that to, um, you know, a, a lot of the European countries, those the things don't work as smoothly there. And I'm, I'm not just, you know, I'm, I'm talking pretty much across the board. I mean, mm. life, quality of life in the United States, um, now that I've been gone for so long, asked, people need to appreciate it. It's very, very good here. Yeah. I, uh, I I have traveled uh, through Europe uh, quite a bit, but when I, I lived in the United States my entire life, and after I graduated from college, I did as many Midwestern young men do, and I traveled through yeah. Europe, and I was, sh- this is very, sounds very strange, it may s- sound strange to a lot of the people who listen to this show, but the first time I saw like a candy shelf with only like one or two very types of candy bars, I was like, what is going? This is like absolute poverty. Because <laughs> my entire life, every candy shelf was filled with colors, like a rainbow array. There's never anything less than like thirty varieties of candy. And I and I and in in, in it was London too. This wasn't like a small thing. Yeah. There'd be only like five or six, and all the brands I didn't know, and the brands that I did know, they weren't exactly the same. Like the portions would be different, or the size. It obviously wasn't the exact product that I was used to. And I was like, my world was. My very sheltered world at that point was very, very changed. It's yeah, I, I totally get that. I totally get that. Yeah, because yeah. I, I have the one. I, I, I call it the mayonnaise example, and what I mean by that is, you go to shop. Most Europeans, I mean, in, in in the UK now, of course, there's big shops, but most of the shops, you go in and there's one, maybe two types of mayonnaise. You get your mayonnaise, and I come back here and I go to this, you know, you know and there's there's. 35, 40 different types of mayonnaise, and it's like that across everything. You have much more selection and choice here. 
What, what area in the UK did you live? You, London. What, oh, what, you did? Yeah, what, what, West London. Yeah. Do the audiophiles in London have an affinity for the British brands more yeah, so? Yeah. The, it's one, It's been a really amazing learning experience getting into the audio industry in the UK. It's, a, uh, it's I mean, I, I think probably back in the 80s and 90s when I was really getting into, I would call higher-end audio. I mean, the original, I mean, how I really got into um, audio was probably started with Name Audio. Um, mm-hmm. Name is a, a British company. In fact, if you look at the way the 1543 DAC has that black green, that's not a coincidence. That's because I was a huge Name fan all mm-hmm. through after college and um, you know back back in the 90s. So it's uh, and and the, the people I've been able to work with because it's a smaller company. Um, you know, I'm now happy to say you know I, I know a lot of manufacturers in the UK and I've get to spend time and, and learn. Uh, a huge amount from these amazing manufacturers that, that are available um, in the UK. So I've asked it to a couple of people, but do you feel that the uh, the British have their own sound? Is there a British sound, and is that different from the, the United States sound or any other place's sound? And if so, what makes it unique? What does it sound like? Yeah, definitely. And it's, it's one thing I've, I think I, I've spent a and for most of especially you know I am a you know a middle aged you know uh, white male, and I think what what a lot of audio misses out and the British really concentrate on is a thing, they actually call it Pratt, pace, rhythm, uh, and timing, and flow of music. And and I think if you listen to my components, I hope that that side of the musicality is present because I think this is where the, the especially the, the, the original older brands of, of, of British hi-fi, that's what they specialize in, I believe, achieve... You know, we're one of the first people to really get that. And again, name. I think name was the, you know, if you listen to that, the old name equipment back from the 80s and early 90s, they, you know, do they have the soundstage and the ultimate detail and all that? No, maybe not. But your foot taps, you, 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 there's, this, there's this rhythmic uh, coherence that the British equipment, I think, excels at. And they were one of the first ones to really kind of get that that was an important, really one of the probably, if not the most important part, in my opinion, to replay of music. I mean, if the music, if the rhythm and timing doesn't come through, I'm just, it, it, it doesn't work for me. Yeah. Do you think that the the notion, the idea of the Harbeth studio monitor has helped shape the British sound at all? I actually own myself a pair of Harbeth P3 ESRs. I mean, um, I've you know quite a few speakers, and again that speaker is, you know, it's it's their smallest, least expensive speaker, um, and it is, it has that you know does it at that price point does it have the best sound stage does it have the, all the detail you know compared to more expensive speakers, you know I have to say in my opinion probably not, but what it does do is it has that drive it has it it, it, it paired with you know the right type of amplification right kind of source if it's given that information it has the ability to really get that foot tapping that you know let's get up this this music if it's the type of music that you know people will get up and start dancing type of thing it's it's and for me that's that's pretty crucial and and, in the harbeth speakers um at least i know the p3s are um has the ability to do that i'm I'm very intrigued about this because i'm not directly familiar with it but it's been alluded to that the lack of diversity that the bbc since there's like a more streamlined thing to music production in england and that therefore they have their own kind of sound that the influence of that production has somehow permeated into the overall kind of sonic texture that comes out of that geographic region of the earth 
that you're saying, oh, British has its own sound, and that is a result of the BBC having a lot of influence over the overall production of things, as opposed to America, where it's more splintered, more fractured, and stuff comes in more different places. Boy, that, that's tough. To, I mean, the BBC is such a massive force in uh, in the UK. It's, I mean, hard to say. I hear what you're saying. Um, you know, they developed the you know, LS35A and all that, so I can't really say. Sorry, yeah. So uh, what would you say on that same topic is the biggest difference between the British audiophile and the American audiophile? I, I think the British customer is not open as quickly at least to the West Coast and East Coast USA customers, to new technology. Because mm. you know, so, here I am, I, I, I am a, you know, a computer audio. I, I, I started computer audio design, and I had the first high-end USB-only DAC. So I, here, I imagine nine years ago, I come out with a DAC that's a whole lot of money, that's made out of acrylic, and it only has a USB input, nothing else, and only has RCAs. And I was, um, let's just say, uh, you know, I had some issues back then. I mean, USB only, nobody could understand why. The British, I had some trouble in, in Britain. I actually did, I did better in, in other countries throughout Europe. But the Brits are, they move probably a bit slower and it takes a bit more time to be accepting compared to, especially compared to California. I mean, you know, this and also, you know, East Coast, um, people here are, um, you know, a bit more open to, I think, um, generally speaking, of course, there's exceptions all over. Yeah. But. Well, would you, would you say that the inverse is true for countries like Japan and China? Do they adapt technologies quicker? Well, I've just started distributing in Japan about three years ago. In fact, we just went to the Tokyo show for the first time, so that was great fun. So I don't... Um, I wish I knew more about the Japanese. I mean... They seem to be very yeah. isolated, at least in audio. They seem to be more isolated, that market, than any other market. Like, mm-hmm. Japan is, is its own thing in a lot of regards to yeah. high-end audio. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the interesting thing about the Japanese market is it, that is the SACD market. I mean, they are, you know, which is... Really? Uh, the SACD is massive in Japan. Oh, it's huge. See, these you know, are the yeah, things, yeah. like, the, yeah, all yeah. these little things that they're, yeah. they're just separate. Yeah. They're, they're, they're yeah. like... Yeah. Yeah. They have, it's, like, it's like, what happened to the SACD? You go to Japan... It's 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 all over the place. You so, know, you know what I saw when I was in London that I, I just got over the moon. They had they still sold mini discs, but I'm talking really? about like yeah. from the music label, like with artwork. I had yeah. never I've yeah. only seen mini discs where you like copy it from a CD and yeah. put it on there. But they were releasing it like as like a CD yeah. with with everything, and I was like, this is I'd never seen that in America. And I had a mini disc player at the time. I know it's not perfect, but at the, I, that thing was awesome when it first came out. I yeah. thought yeah. it was yeah. a good time. Yeah. I mean, Japan, I mean, again, I don't, again, I'm, I'm, I know very little about the market there, really, but it's, you know, tubes are very, very popular there in workmanship. I mean, you know, unless it's absolutely beautiful, everything, it's, it's very, very crucial to, to that culture. It has to look and be very, very well made to, to, to succeed from what I've seen. Yeah. And, they, and they make some really high-end jeans. Mm-hmm. Same yeah, idea. Yeah, yeah. They, the quality. Oh, yeah. the quality of things. And, Three, four hundred dollar yeah. pairs of jeans, yeah. but the same thing. A focus on artisanal yes. craftsmanship yes. that takes time, and there's details. Details yep. like, yep. you know, rivets and pockets and, yeah. and hidden things that aren't necessarily yeah. showy for everybody. Yeah. On the outside, these jeans they look exactly like every other pair yeah. of jeans, but they're three hundred bucks, and everything's yeah. for you. But you know, you yeah, know, you know, it's <laughs> yours. Yeah. When you first designed this DAC, what made you want to go the ladder DAC route as opposed to Delta Sigma? And you know, mm-hmm. you had a, really any choice on the first DAC you made. So, in a US, go, I have to be honest, going USB only 
nine years ago. That is something that's unique. Because why? What made you even do that choice? Start there. Well, first, start for the, calling it unique. It's been called a lot of things other than yeah. unique. I'd be quite honest. Yeah. <laughs> but um, no, I think what, what I you know the, the name of the company is Computer Audio Design. I had a really strong belief. I mean, m- you know, pr- more than ten years ago that um, that I, I kind of saw that as the future of of, of, of the way music was going to be played. I mean, you know, and you know now we've got the Spotify and all these things have come out, and I kind of. I kind of thought that was going to happen. There was that half of it. And there was also, when I started doing work um, uh, early on, there wasn't any USB uh, when I first started. There was, you know, SPDF, and that was about it. And then kind of when the first USB interface came out, uh, I was uh, was somewhat in- involved with that uh, company called M2 Tech down in Italy and worked with them quite a bit. And, 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 and the, the I, re- I remember that product. Did it have like a very aluminum silver box? Well, yeah, he had a few um, uh, products, but that was was a long time ago. That was a long time ago. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he he actually, uh, you know, um, MT Tech, I believe, had the first. um, Well, if if, okay, not the first, certainly one of the first um, proper, what I would call proper USB to I2S interfaces, and and that uh, product uh, when I got it and. Spent a lot of time, and, and I'll start. I'll start saying something now, which I'll, I'll repeat probably a bit. Is, is power supplies? I mean, mm-hmm. uh, one of my big, massive beliefs in in DAX is, is power supplies are everything. And um, and I spent a lot of time developing and working on power supplies just to drive the USB interface. And I was able to get up to a sound quality after you know after a couple of years, really, of what I thought was... I was starting to compare against... I was able to go to some dealerships in, in the UK and go up against some t- some CD players that, you know, were basically cost you'd have to add you'd have to add a zero to what my my system cost to, to you know against that so so as and I, I, the dealers i was visiting were you know this thing's seriously good i mean it, 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 so i always thought that computer audio could produce a sound quality mm-hmm. a reasonable price a very very high level of sound quality and um, and you know we're still still working on that we you know we've got a lot more to do but i think the progress in the last 4 or 5 years in computer audio software has just been step function after step function of increase now we need to work on the computer audio hardware this is where that, that this is the next best big step i believe in the in computer audio playback is on hardware side i think um, there's a couple of companies out there doing some good stuff and um, we'll see a lot more in that i'm sure of it what what specifically do you think could use a Jolt of innovation. Well, the hardware side. I mean, you, it's, I, mean I think we're, we were seeing the companies. I mean, yeah, um, J Play, Inuos, Sotom. Uh, it, these are companies that are smaller. Obviously, you know, I think a lot of times that there's new ideas and ingenuity are coming from from smaller companies like this. And hmm. I mean, if, if you look at the product ranges, that um, you know, it's just some, some new ideas. That these are people coming out you know, using proper clocks and proper, um, you know, no more switch mode, you know, trying to get very, very quiet, quiet linear power supplies mm. uh, and things like this instead of just, you know, using standard computer parts right. and trying to tweak them to make them work for audio. That's a really good point because I think it's easy to forget sometimes when we get involved in all this that the, the parts that a lot of digital designers use were not originally made for audio. Not at they all. had to be shoehorned into yeah, that yeah. that thing. So yeah. to like kind of tear it down a little, deconstruct yeah. it, and yeah. build it back up in a way that it suits 
the needs of the audiophile is, I mean, it, obviously, the biggest hangs, you know, with asynchronous and the way the data is transferred, it's been optimized for computer usage. Mm-hmm. And no one was even really thinking about audio at Not the at time all. when they put it together. Still, you, how much time do you think Apple and Windows and all these hardware companies put into thinking about, I mean... Yeah, it's you know they they put some time into it, but not at the level that we at the level we want. At the I, level I mean, we're it's talking It's interesting about. you put it yes, like yes, that because yes. I think Apple really makes a lot of money off of music. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, but no one goes back to this very rudimentary level of you know audio design and electronics to yeah. fix any of the issues, which is kind of surprising when you think about it on a global sense like that. Yeah, I was really hoping to you know start seeing yeah so some improvements on on, on the hardware side of things that certainly um, Apple could do. Um, but um, I mean, I, you know, I'm kind of limited on time. But from what I've seen, I'm not seeing it. <laughs> you know, yeah. what I'm saying I'd like I, to see more. Yeah. I guess I'm also kind of just surprised at the at the rate that Bluetooth is is growing. I've had this mm-hmm. conversation with many folks about different you know different positions on Bluetooth, but it's just not there to the wire. Yeah. And there's a lot of money in wireless <laughs> headphones. Mm-hmm. Yep. And it's, I'm sorry, but it just seems to be progressing even slower than I thought. It's progressing yeah. quickly. Yeah. But with the amount of money, and they're just like, okay, here's the white Apple earbud. Oh, it kind of, it works. Yeah, yeah, it works. It works. It functions. And yeah, that's yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. And there's yeah. the stopping point. It yeah. could sound exactly the same as a wire if, the, if they threw enough money at it, but yeah. you know, get, I'll give it a little bit of time. No, I mean, yeah. we got a, we got a couple of years left yeah. in the world. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> so one of the points I wanted to make was that in a lot of things in terms of audio, if you want the best sound, and this goes for almost everything. Almost everything has to be perfect, right? You, not, not perfect sound at the end, but the, your chain, if there's one flaw in the chain that you're creating, it can degrade the sound. Being a manufacturer of USB DACs, I feel like one of the soft spots in that chain has often been the USB connection itself. Mm-hmm. What has changed over the years in your mind, and how are things better now? Because I take this from a couple of examples where I've heard really good like transports, really good CD players, mm-hmm. But the USB connection wasn't as good as the capabilities of the rest of the of the chain. Where they oh we're going to add this USB connection on and make this transport an external yeah. DAC, and all of a sudden it's obvious that the connection is the issue. What's so difficult uh, difficult about making a really good USB connection? Not the DAC chip part. Yeah, well, I think now you know I'll have to start all of this. Of course, this is all in my opinion. I think if you ask three or four or five different digital audio d- engineers, you, you, you might get different answers on this one. In my experience, and I've been working with USB uh, pretty much, f- I think, from the very, very beginning. And uh, I think what I've seen is XMOS has, has, it, 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 it has come out and really kind of taken over a good chunk of the industry. And it's a, um, you know, it's a very functional device and all that. But I think well, one of the things, if you, if you look at Papers that I've written and everything is I. One of my beliefs of, of digital is 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 when people say, "Oh, that sounds digital." I'm putting that in quotes as a negative thing. Is yeah. that one of my beliefs of, of what's causing one of the what I call the big red X of all? There's all these issues. I believe it's time domain and mm-hmm. frequency domain. Um, you know, jitter and, and, and high-frequency noise are really the, the big killers on this. One of those things I spend a lot of time on is trying to reduce. Uh, unwanted high-frequency noise from digital playback. XMOS... Would, would, would that characteristic that you just defined also be a metaphor for glare? 
Because yes. some of this USB, that's a, that was a negative term that's been thrown around quite a bit. Yes. Yeah. Is that what you're referring to? Uh, maybe. Yeah, I, I think I, I definitely. Yeah. Okay. At least a contributor. Yes. Glare or that upper high frequency. I think we all know what we're talking about. You know, when I say this, you, you go in and you hear this this high frequency. It's just you know. It doesn't sound like if someone's playing a, a, a violin or that type of instrument or let's say a Spanish guitar type of that that type of sound on a lot of digital equipment has it's, it's a difficult thing for digital to to replay mm-hmm. that, that that sound and you know it, and what I found is anytime you can kind of decrease power decrease frequency that reduces that high frequency noise. And I'm, when I'm going to say high frequency, I'm thinking, you know, even though when you're talking about glare here, we're talking about 20, you know, we hear up to 20 kilohertz. This is not the frequency I'm talking. I'm talking about megahertz. I'm talking, you know, much, much higher. And when I found when you can reduce that, um, that glare and that upper frequency issues are reduced also. I think what's taken out of the industry over the XMOS, and, and I think XMOS can be used uh, very very well. I, I don't. I personally don't use XMOS. I use um, a CPLD, which is kind of like a, a small FPGA type of that design. But my design draws about you know fifteen twenty milliamps. XMOS design starts at about three hundred fifty milliamps and can go up from there quite high. Some of the XMOS have built-in switch mode uh, regulators and things like this in this, which I, um, I I try to stay away from. Um, and so I'm I'm really trying to less power lower frequency, let's keep that noise, let's try to get that noise down, and, and, and that will, you, you'll see that in all my products. Yeah. Uh, so a little finesse with the USB goes a long ways. In my Cause, belief. Because yeah. it is possible to just buy, there's a plug-and-play option for really simple executions, am I, am I right? Yeah, oh, oh, certainly there is, yeah. But uh, in my, and the thing, I've got years of work in my USB design. I mean, literally years. I mean, it's, it's the power supplies and it. And how yeah. many other people on the face of the planet do you think do that? I don't know. I don't, I, I don't know. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I don't it's know. not really an, yeah. one that yeah. needs to be answered. I'm yeah. implying yeah. by that question that I don't think many people are experts in this very, very niche. I don't, th- I, yeah, I mean, I think if we looked at how much time I've spent, you know, I'm trying to figure it out and trying to, yeah, it's yeah, it's, it's years. It's not, yeah. So yeah. It's a, you know, it's not saying eight hours a day, type, you know, but yeah. over long periods of time, it's crucial. I think when people say, you know, Ethernet, that sounds better than this. I think you, you can't say that. I mean, the, 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 there's so many different ways of doing Ethernet. There's so many different ways of doing mm. USB. There's so many ways. I think it's a dangerous thing to say that that is better than that than that. I think if you get the right parts and the implementation done correctly, I think they can probably all be very, very good. Mm. Um, there's certain advantages to disadvantages to, to, to all of them. Um, mm. uh, it's just, it's just uh, how did the engineer try to minimize those disadvantages. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, obviously, there's not a whole lot of absolute right answers yeah. in terms of you know preference. And uh, even in making movies, if you throw enough money, and therefore, you know, obviously, knowledge and prowess and design know-how, right? If you throw enough of that at a problem, you can usually come out with a pretty good mm-hmm. yep. solution. And, mm-hmm. and I, I just like to remind the listeners who do feel polarized on a lot of issues that a little bit of research or you know, listen to this podcast, you'll see a lot of these things. Because uh, let's be honest, on this particular issue, there's a lot of people who uh, call, uh, traditionalists or whatever mm-hmm. you want to call them, they just don't like USB straight up. Sure. There are uh, people who, like you, do you prefer to avoid Delta Sigma chipsets? Mm-hmm. So this 
particular niche has its own set of polarizing issues that we're kind of talking about here. But uh, a Delta Sigma chip, I've heard it sound really good. Mm-hmm. Sure. And granted, sometimes those are very expensive. Very, like, there's been a lot thrown at the yeah, Delta yeah. Sigma, and I, to be honest, I've heard uh, some ladder decks that don't perform as well as the as the really high end Delta Sigmas. Definitely. So it's yep. there's a lot of variables at play here, and and nothing um, that's like that may appear black and white or binary is always uh, when it comes to like arguing about it online. At least is is yeah, as yeah. black and white as a lot of people propose it to be. So just think about things with an open mind, and don't Please. buy into too many things because it might surprise you. You might walk away with a, a, a fun find or something that opens your uh, vantage point to m- audio in general. Like, oh, man, th- I tried this thing. I tried it a little bit different, and now my system sounds way better. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I, I can't agree with that. I mean, that's so, I mean, you just hit it right there. I, people always ask me the first question, what chip do you use? And I, I think, and I, and I don't sit here right now, and I bet I, the chip is probably in the 30 to 40% of the sound quality. That's being generous, I think, you know, and I, in my experience, I, I, I've, over the last 20 years, I've played with a lot of different chips and sure, uh, you know, some sound different, better and all this, but it, 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 I, I can do things to power supplies that will make more of a change on the sound quality than the chip. Um, and, and, let me, just, let me no, just I mean, say, I love the fact that you put a percentage on it. No yeah. one has dared go there. And yeah. I love it. 30, 40%. Yeah. It's uh, so tangible of you. I love it. Because, you know, I think when people look at a DAC or listen to a DAC, please don't, um, you know, if it's just because Sigma Delta and you don't like Sigma Delta, just say, oh, I'm not going to listen to that DAC or it's oh, the opposite. Or it's a synergy. It's, it's You've got an input. First of all, whatever that input is, be it Ethernet, be it USB, be it SPDF, you've got, that is so crucial how that's done. The input, you've got the DAC chips themselves. Then you've got the power supplies powering the SPDF or the USB or the Ethernet. Then you've got the output stage of the DAC. Got, and so it's a synergy. It's, it's, I think it's really people making really mistakes if they get hung up in any one of those regions. It's, you need to trust your ears. I mean, I think at the end of the day, I would never say, you know, I wouldn't listen to something because of any one of those things. It's, it is a synergy of making the input, the DAC, the power supplies, the vibration control, the clocks, it's, it's vastly more complex than to say one, any one of those parts, in my opinion. <laughs> I do, I'm not familiar with the intricacies of, des, of you know, the internal design, but I'm literally saying it from a person who's just listened. Hmm. You know, I sure. go to these shows and I've, heard, I've yeah. heard everything sound good, and I've heard things that you might think sound good also sound not, not as good. Like, you just can't be presumptuous about, a, about technologies in that way if you want to have the most fun out of this hobby. Definitely, yep. What do you kind of feel are the technological and acoustic advantages to the ladder decks that you, you kind of work with? Um, I mean, I, there's a lot of measurements you can make. Um, and I, I guess I'll start, start off again. Even though I started off my career in Tektronix, which is a measurement company, um, I think measurements get you so far. But I think one of the measurements that I do believe in um, is what's called the impulse response, basically. It's, you know, you put a digital, you know, input into a, into a DAC, and then you look at the output in the analog domain, and is there ringing, is there not ringing, and um, all this pre-ringing, post-ringing, I won't get into all the details of that, and there's like, well, okay. Um, and, and generally, we all talk about filters, um, uh, and, and so there's ways to minimize ringing and post-ringing using um, a vast array of filters which are available. Uh, and uh, I think uh, one of the advantages um, of, of resistor ladder is that without using any filters at all, um, the impulse response is pretty darn good. Um, and, and every time, 
at least to my ear, when I sit down and I've done with different DAC chips and different work, it seems to be when I can get that impulse response looking better on my um, measurement equipment, that um, that seems to be a perceivable thing that I can personally hear. And what does that sound like? I think it's it's a more natural, you know, I had somebody in the room today and he's like, um, you know, he's like, you know, that really just sounds like there's a guitar in the room. I mean, there's, there's a reality to it. There's a, and there's also, the, the, there's that leading edge, what I call slap, meaning it's a, it's, um, it's that impact that at the leading edge of the signal. And um, so when, you know, when, that, when that guitar or that violin is enthusiastically area of the music, which I find very important, the resistor ladder is very good at, but also just as important as the resistor ladder is the power supplies allow that to happen. And it's interesting to say that because I, I find that the two things are, o- are somewhat intertwined in that if the function of a really good power supply is to reduce the ambient like sound levels, the background mm-hmm. levels, for a blacker background, and then you hype up the leading edge, the impact in there, and you have something that complements itself very well mm-hmm. for an effect that I like to think of when I hear it in these really high-end stereos. When you come in and you hear nothing, like there's no little scissor, and your, your body picks up on that. It's almost like a raw, primal thing. So you, you, I'm in a quiet room. I know there's not a stereo on, right? And then something hits you with that. It's almost scary because you're not used to... Mm-hmm. You're used to like a little hiss or a little back. Your, your body inadvertently picks up on the signal that something's in the room with you. But when it's totally silent and then all of a sudden it's quite aggressive, loud, mm-hmm. it's almost mm-hmm. like there's this instinct like, whoa, that's a real thing yeah. because it's not, a, it's not blended. It's, it's got a, such a dynamic swing to it that it's, it's more real. Yeah. It, it's like, yeah. it's like but, something you – like a, a, the crack of a whip – Next to you, it's silent, and then it's loud. But that silence in between the notes is crucial to the music. If you read a lot of the reviews, I think a lot of people you know, come out and say, but the 1543 DAC just has a blackness to it. It is, it is a black, and it's all spot out. On a good day, the signal-to-noise ratio, and I'll get people will just probably I'll get in trouble for this, but my signal-to-noise ratio of my DAC on a good day is probably 90 dB. This is horrible. If you look at nowadays, there's signal-to-noise ratios of DACs out there that are 140 um, plus dB, you know. So, but but I think one thing that when people, it, this is leading on to a, my latest product. But when you measure signal to noise ratio, you're measuring, basically speaking, is you know what's the maximum output versus you know o- over what's the minimum noise of the system. Um, the problem is in that when you measure the maximum output, you're measuring that against the reference. When you measure the minimum output, you're measuring that against the reference, which let's just say that's signal ground. Well, the problem is, is that the assumption is that signal ground has no noise on it, or people don't think about it. Or, and one of the things I found, um, and I, one of my product ranges, the CAD ground controls, are um, trying to reduce is this noise on the signal ground. So, um, methodologies and materials that I'm using in my ground controls are in my 1543 DAC, and I really worked hard to get that signal signal ground not have any or as minimal noise as possible. So even though the reading is 90 dB, it's very, very common, not me saying this, is that there is an incredible blackness and stillness of, of what comes out of my DAC. And, um, and that's with the signal to noise of 90, which is, like I say, nowadays people would say something's wrong or something, you know. So yeah, I, I, I find anything that tips the hat to realism in that it absolutely contributes to that is... Maybe not something that you can focus on when you're listening or that you're aware of, but one of the things you can train your ear to and that contributes to the overall, Ma, that sounds good. 
You know what I mean? It, and it's one of those subtle, very subtle things. You're like, oh, what, is, what does nothing sound like? Generally, if you're listening to like, oh, I don't know, an eight-track tape, it's, yeah, you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, yeah, and you yeah. know you're listening to an eight-track tape. Yeah. But it's still there, and then you tune it out. As the volume levels come up, that goes down. But zero to loud, it's so beautiful. I, I wish that if you guys get the chance to get your systems or a chance to hear other systems that can do those kind of, that have that capability to swing like that, it's such a beautiful Hmm. Rare thing. It's very rare. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, it's yeah. very expensive too. A lot of times. Yeah. yeah. So I mean, the whole trying to get noise down is an all my. You know, my, I have a patent on USB filters that are used in my USB USB cables. I have a patent on differential signal uh, filtering, and again, that's you know years to do that because you know you you don't want to filter too much to hurt the signal itself, but you also want to. And it, it, I think most people that use my USB cables. Um, uh, you know, they put them in. It's it's unlike anything on the market because it has technology behind it that that doesn't really exist elsewhere. But again, it's this uh, low noise, big soundstage, and also just this natural. This there's a um, you know musicians and voices just have a reality to it that I believe is you know is is, is helped by reducing this noise. Of all the cables that uh, certain groups of audiophiles believe make no difference. The USB cable is the most ostracized yeah, cable it, of, oh of all cables. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. How would you address the people that say USB can't make a difference because it either works or it doesn't? Okay. First of all, that's not true. Um, it, what happens is if you're using a USB cable on your computer and you're copying a file over to, let's say, a hard drive or to a printer or something, there's a thing, basically it's called error checking. There's the thing, goes back and forth and says, oh, yeah. Well, when you're streaming music over a USB cable, that does not exist. So, so first of all, so errors can happen and errors do happen. How many errors? Well, you know, I'm not, it's not great. But nonetheless, that error check does not exist. So, that, so that's part of it. And I believe it's probably not a big part of it, it's, uh, but it's there. But the, the next thing is really noise. Uh, I think, um, again, you know, sorry, back to the noise thing. But it's, you know, trying to, whatever you're connecting to uh, on, you know, be it a laptop, be it, be it my own, you know, CAD audio transport, be it some other manufacturer servers, you know, the, the, these things are all, they're all computers, and, and they're all noisy as heck. I mean, you know, we, you know, I've worked years on my server trying to um, reduce that noise, but it's still, compared to any other product I, I, in your audio system, servers are noise-making machines, and trying to reduce that noise from getting into the DAC via the USB cable, especially the ground and the data, data plus signals, is very important. So uh, you're not in, uh, implying that this, this noise that you're talking about right now somehow affects the one and the zero transfer down the line for in a digital signal. No, 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 and no. Increase no, errors no. that way. No, you're saying I, something I don't, different. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm just saying it's 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 dumping noise onto your DAC. And you know, I have designed galvanic isolation. We have all these things that we're trying to do to keep that noise out, but it 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 helps. The, the noise is is not causing zero when it, no it's not, but it's certainly influencing the sound of the DAC. It's all high frequency noise. I mean, if if you it's um I always say, you know, the, the best way to do is I mean I'll, I, is is take a CAD GC one ground control, which what it does is reduce noise, plug it into a DAC, and and I guarantee you, you will hear a difference. I mean it's also take one of our um, either one of our cables, or less expensive, plug it in, you will hear a in all what we're what we're trying to achieve here is that reduction. We can't get rid of it all, um, but we can certainly reduce it substantially, and it will make a difference in the sound quality. I remember having a, this being a real big issue five years ago, but is it still 
I mean, I, I imagine, of course, there's some people that are, are still not sure, but it, it, please, you're not saying my cable. If you, if you don't believe this is true, just use a standard printer cable. Go out and get any low-cost Plug it in, and I'm telling you, you try to forget all the, you know, all the different arguments and everything, and and, and trust your ears and, and try it. It's true. I mean, the, the, these these cables make it. I think it's amazingly similar. The digital cables make just as much difference as as analog cables. Well, yeah, that's my. Some experience. people don't think the analog cables yep. make a difference either. So sure. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> you know, no, 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 and I can appreciate that. But you know, again, it, it, this is you know everything I'm saying here is I. This is things that I hear, and um, I, I I believe it does. So um, yeah, if you disagree with that, then that's that. that yeah, yeah. I know, I know. That's that's life. I just think you know I think education is a. Um, I think people uh, again is back to this. Um, what we talked about at the beginning is just because it has a. Sigma double, just because there's a resistor ladder, just because it has an SPDF, it doesn't have this, and I, I'm not going to try this because of that. I think that's a, in my opinion, I think it's a dangerous position to be in, and I think that flows over to probably digital cables too. I think it's something that, please, all I can recommend is give it a go, plug it in, takes yeah. a couple of minutes, and yeah. The one thing that I don't agree with is people who say I'm not going to try this because. It, yeah. it doesn't make a difference, or I believe yes. that it doesn't make a difference. Therefore, I don't need to waste my time list trying too. it out. That does not make a lot of sense that to me. That bugs me. Yeah. That bothers me. <laughs> yeah. Because if, if you're jumping to that conclusion <laughs> yeah. without any evidence, it's like saying, it's just, I was presented with some initial evidence yeah. that now is the truth to me, and I don't want to accept any other type of evidence that might counter that. Yeah. You're, re- you're like literally closing down your the scientific method uh, if you're yeah. if you're relying so hard on s- measurements and stats and the scientific method yeah. to prove truths to you yeah. why are you eliminating one of the possible options to get more data on the subject that part i don't understand but yeah me either you know yeah. but not everybody the number one thing is it's expensive right it's yeah. expensive now we can afford the cables it's restrictive for them to get these tests and in a way when you say hey you need to try this that means that that person has to go out spend their own money to get the cable and bring it back and and they don't want to take the time. CAD offers a full refund on any cable. You buy a USB cable from us, you don't like it, you get all your money back. How many times has it been sent back? Can't remember. I don't remember one coming back. Ever. I've sold probably, I don't know, I don't know how many I've sold, but probably, you know, six, seven hundred hmm. in the last few years. Yeah. So, What's it cost? Yeah. Um, the USB 1 is 750 The USB 2 is now 1500 so they're expensive cables. So yeah. I, I'm not saying people out there to, you need to try. I'm just saying go out and get a, a cable that's designed for audio that costs fifty bucks. That's what I mean. just just to, just to convince you. You, know, you don't. You don't I'm not trying to sell my cable to the to that crowd. I'm just saying right. that crowd. I think we've talked about the DAC of it. We've we've got the audio transport. I've got the two cables. The ground controls are something that uh, are, are selling. Well, as fast as we can make them right now. So that it's a pretty interesting product. I think it's in some ways in, in the last couple of years, there's been some grounding products that have come out uh, by uh, other manufacturers. And, and in some ways, that's actually helped our sales because I think there was, you know, there was a lot of this, oh, that snake oil type of thing. And I think having other uh, products now, and there's more and more talk about trying to reduce noise on signal grounded products is. And it's a big, significant change. I think in, in, in Japan, it's just that you know, the, it's, it's selling incredibly well. Um, on, on SACD players, there you plug in a uh, you know a two thousand dollar GC one into these systems, and the, they're, they're selling incredibly well. So we're we're, so we're trying to get um, and throughout Europe, we're doing very well there. So um, very simple product. Uh, 
it's passive, doesn't connect to any power. Uh, it just connects to uh, unused RCAs, unused XLRs, unused USBs, allows a link between the signal ground within that product to the ground control. The ground control then converts energy from about one megahertz on up, so very high frequencies, one megahertz up into the gigahertz range into heat. Um, and that's how it operates. When it does that conversion to heat, it then uh, reduces uh, the, the the noise in that frequency spectrum from the signal ground of the product. Uh, and it's, again, CAD sells these, 30 days trial. You, if you don't like it, if you, if you don't believe it, um, uh, it, it comes back. And our, I think our stats show it's about 99%, meaning we get about one back out of every 100 we sell um, for the GC1. So I think that's proving that it's... Um, and also, it's yeah. So it's 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 a very significant uh, change for computer audio, I believe, because in, as I've been talking about through this whole podcast, is it's noise. I believe is a is a big player in it, and the ground control is a, a very effective way of doing that in any component. And it's so easy; you just plug it in, and it's it's a very easy thing to use and very easy to hear. So, do you own a turntable? I do. I have an LP12, and I've got about. 4,000 albums. So I don't, I'm a, it, one of the reasons I started doing, designing a DAC so many years ago was to, I wasn't happy with CD players. I'm a, um, so I, I think, you know, nowadays, most of, okay, a lot of my customers have both the turntable and digital. I mean, it's it, the two, I think it's very difficult just to have a turntable, not dip your toe into the digital world. And there's a lot of, I think probably the older, the more of the, you know, let's just say mid fifties on up that range are now starting to, you know, see that, that they, that they, they have a significant investment in vinyl, but it's kind of hard nowadays not to have, um, a digital. So, um, I'm very happy. Um, even though here I am a digital guy, but I listening to a good, good setup turntable is a pleasurable, beautiful, you know, it's fantastic. What do you, uh, what do you reference at the Technical level when you're listening on, for your DAX, what, what are the transducers uh, you choose? Don Audio C1s. I have a couple pairs of Bernicas. Uh, it's a Swiss company. In fact, we're using the Bernica W8 at the show here. I have a smaller W5. Um, we have a small set of P3 ESRs. Uh, those are Harbeths. Uh, and that's kind of the mix between those because it's Don Audios are very, very accurate. The uh, Bernicas are exceptionally good at tonality, um, mm. realism, and things like this. Which, uh, and so you, I, I think it's difficult to, just to have. Yeah, I have a reference system, so I can always go back and forth. But you need to listen to to, to changes in my my designs on a couple different systems because yeah. you're going to miss something if you only do it on one. I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. 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 It's it's very smart. It's, to create variety in order to get a bigger picture, I think, is, yeah. is a very smart move. Yeah. If you tune, a, tune anything to one specific system as a manufacturer, you're in trouble, yeah. I think. Well, especially you know, with yeah. amplifiers. When, when I talk to some uh, amplifier designers, they speak of this very problem because if they design an amplifier for just one speaker, that's, it might sound horrible with another. So they are actually kind of hamstring by this because they have to design an amp that's good for a wide variety. The active speaker guys are the ones that say, we can really hone this in. So when it's, when it's only one speaker to an active um, uh, powered amp, a lot of those guys are like, dude, this is a, there's real magic there because the, the maker of the amp can fine-tune it to just that one speaker because it's the only speaker that's ever going to be plugged into, yeah. and they can really do a lot, and I think that you, you can see that in some products. Sure. 
Yeah, makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Also, uh, you know, hamstring to the reviewer who has to like have a lot of speakers and yeah. a lot of amps so they yeah, can yeah, sure. they don't get a mismatch when they get a you know like a random amp in to review. So, yeah, yeah. thank you so much for you, uh, coming on the show. It's been a wonderful experience. Thank you, Brian. I enjoyed it. Thank you. <laughs>